0: Welcome back to the Soundtracker Podcast. I'm your host Eric Peacock. So I'm doing Hot Rod today. Uh, really glad, you know, I wanted to do this or Pop Star at some point, point. and uh, I mean, obviously, I'll get to Pop Star as well. But doing Hot Rod first, and I'm joined by Ben McClay of Punta Vista. Really fun time talking about this episode or about this movie. Um, yeah, it's it's Hot Rod. It's very fun. I don't know that I need to say anymore. If you've seen Hot Rod, you you know you're in for a good time with this episode. Uh, soundtrack's really fun too, even if it's not quite a genre that I'm typically into, it fits the movie really well. It's a bunch of uh, hair metal. Um, But yeah, uh, if you haven't, check out the show's Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash soundtracker. That's going to help keep this show moving. And I do have some really great stuff coming up. If you didn't catch last week's episode, I said at the very beginning that I am doing uh, my Halloween episodes start next week with my 100th episode kicking off with return of the living dead with Brendan James from blowback. And then after that, uh, the rest of the month is going to be resident evil, Freddie versus Jason scream 2, and from dusk till dawn with really great guests for all of those as well. So uh, yeah, it's my favorite time of year for these and uh, a lot of really fun episodes coming up. But uh, yeah, if you check out the Patreon, that's going to help ensure that by next year I'm still doing this, and uh, it's free for one week. You get thirty bonus episodes, two more coming this month, and uh, yeah, it's. I think that's my pitch this week. But uh, check it out if you haven't. Please do so, and uh, if you haven't, give the show a rating on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. All right, I'm gonna make this one short. Here it is, Hot Rod. Enjoy. <laughs> in
1: running, ain't nowhere to hide
0: The beast is coming, and he's got you in his sights He ain't gonna miss you, and he ain't gonna mess around If you're a movie with original songs The soundtrack I'm gonna track you down! Oh, yeah! all right everyone welcome back so i'm getting to a movie that i'm I'm so glad to be doing this one this is like one of those ones that i really wanted to get to um really either of the movies that the lonely island guys have been a part of i was like hoping somebody would ask for so i'm doing hot rod today and joining me from bunta vista and the two-bit movie club i'm joined by ben mcclay ben how are you oh i'm very well thank you how are you I am, I am doing great. So uh, I don't think you even threw out another. I think it was just, if I remember correctly to our initial conversation, it was just like, how about Hot Rod? Like, and no one had asked to do this yet. What, what made you, of all the movies out there, what made you choose Hot Rod? Um, Well,
1: I did have, I had a really hard time picking a movie largely because uh, I think I had the same experience that uh, Andrew from Bunta had as well of looking through the spreadsheet you provided and just being like, holy fuck, oh, holy fuck, oh, holy fuck. But then every single one that I looked at, I think, was like another movie. Well, another soundtrack that somebody else would have been very excited about. And I feel like this one, uh, I don't know. It's just very close to my heart in a way that I don't know if it resonates as much with other people. Oh, yeah. Because first I I'd sort of looked at like the Greg Iraqi movies, but, you know, like. That's right. He's famous for his soundtracks, you know. Like those are yeah. like a hallmark of his work. And I'm like, yeah, other people would love those. And then, yeah, immediately. So I'm just looking back at the conversation. I just went from Gregoraki straight to Hot Rod. <laughs> it was just like that. again. Yeah, right.
0: I, for, I forgot that was your first. Because I was like, when you pulled that out, it was so funny. Because I was like, that's you know what? This is this is a this is a great. But I, I, again, it was another one. So I was like, I don't. It's funny you say that because I don't know how I don't I don't know that anyone's even come close to mentioning any of his movies so like i i i was like okay and then to jump from that to hot rod was like such a funny like jump you know what i mean and i was like well it's almost the exact opposite style of soundtrack
1: where like his movies are like for Greg gregoraki they are cool soundtracks like he was picking these really good like shoegaze industrial alt-rock songs that made me feel incredibly badass watching them as a young man and then the soundtrack is like the complete opposite of that in that they're songs that kind of like a dickhead would think were cool, you know, that like they're someone's they're like a cousin's idea of badass music.
0: <laughs> That's like a perfect way to describe the uh because I mean if it's fitting with the movie, it is so yes, unbelievably yeah. fitting with the movie itself, too. Um Okay, that's yeah, I completely forgotten about the initial conversation that there was that is, that's funny. as soon as you said that, I was like, that's right. Well, I you know, I'm, I'm glad to be doing I would have been glad doing either one, but I'm really glad to be talking hot rod because again, like this this and, and pop star are just like two of those movies that I have like, grown to just every time i watch them i think i like them more than i did the previous time you know what i mean like it's it's that kind of thing with these two movies for me and uh so really happy to do hot rod here so let's do a little bit of background on hot rod before we talk about it so hot rod opened on august 3rd 2007 it came out to Middling might even be putting it nicely. It, it, they they were not great reviews, uh-huh. um, and and a shockingly low box office though, because The Lonely Island was pretty hot at the time, but it just it didn't work. It debuted in ninth place in wide release. It grossed just five million in its opening weekend. It only went on to make back fourteen million against a budget of twenty five million. However, it's gone on to become a pretty beloved cult film, and it made twenty four million in DVD sales once it hit video. So that's like where it found its audience was was on video and um that's how we ended up with pop star honestly pop star might not have happened had this not done so well on dvd because that's a pretty pretty bad start for you know lonely island to to have a movie that lost you know probably 20 million when you factor in advertising but uh the top 10 the week that this came out and this is a you know this is a very 2007 top 10. So, it's so weird because it doesn't feel like some of these movies in this top 10 existed in the same time frame as Hot Rod did. So it's like really weird to like be like, I guess these were in theaters at the same time. So number one was The Bourne Ultimatum. Number oh. two was the... Yeah, I, doesn't, right? Doesn't it feel like that was like, if you, I guess to me, it feels like Hot Rod was more recent than 2007. It was kind of weird to me to think about the fact that this is 16 years old when I was going over this, like it doesn't feel that old to me. Um, yeah, that, yeah that's strange. Yeah, uh, number two was The Simpsons movie, number three uh. was Underdog. <laughs> yeah, like this is what i mean like i was like it doesn't feel like these existed in theaters at the same time um Man,
1: it's so yep. weird this um so 2007 was i was 17 at the time that was my final year of high school uh and like yeah this is just like a list of movies that i went to see at the cinemas as a in year 12 at school it's real fucking weird odd thing to
0: think about i'm guessing there's probably a couple more coming up here then uh number four i now pronounce you chuck and larry number five (laughs) (laughs) that's one i kind of forgot about till i was doing this top 10 and i was like oh yeah the kevin james uh sailor movie uh number five harry potter and the order of the phoenix uh number number six hairspray number seven no reservations number eight the first transformers film which feels like it was (gasps) earlier than 2007 (laughs) yeah
1: i definitely remember i going to see that at the cinemas and then immediately downloading like a bad cam rip of it and watching it like 20 times afterwards. I fucking loved that movie when it came out. It was perfect for me. There was like an original Linkin Park song on the soundtrack. There was Disturbed on there. I was like, this is the coolest movie I've ever seen in my life.
0: <laughs> you see i was at the time so yeah I, and again i'm always the old one here i was 27 about this time so i was at the i was at that really dumb age where i was like they ruined transformers you know what i mean like i was at that where i was like <laughs> now i wouldn't care i'd probably just not go see it and not care but i think i was like mad that it was coming out like shia oh, the in a transformers movie how dare they <laughs> Uh, and at number nine hot rod number 10 brats with a z the cartoon film animated (laughs) wow i can't believe that made it into the top 10 that's incredible (laughs) it barely got edged out by hot rod (laughs) Um, so the movie itself there was and i there were some things that i didn't know so this movie was initially drafted by pam brady who still retains the full writing credit and initially it was a vehicle for Saturday Night Live's Will Farrell at the Will Farrell at the time. It was supposed to be for yeah. Will Farrell was the star. See, I didn't which, know that.
1: It scans because like it's the exact same template as every single Will Farrell movie, which is also the exact same template for like every single Wes Anderson movie, which is like a man with a lot of hubris is like forced to reckon with that by being humbled by something which is <laughs> yeah. the plot of like this plot of kicking and screaming anchorman talladega nights like all of them uh also the last the like grand Budapest hotel life aquatic all of them uh but yeah it's like it's exactly that plot except I, it's so hard to try and imagine this as but well, he would have been 40 something at the time right. i guess
0: that, right which, I mean, I guess could have made it even funnier dynamic that he's like a middle-aged man <laughs> doing all of this. Yeah, but... You know, uh, well, and for his part, so the project never happened. Lorne Michaels convinced Paramount to let the Lonely Island, who at the time was like really getting famous for, for their work on SNL, take over. And so they subsequently rewrote the film with a heavy emphasis on their brand of humor. That's surreal humor that they have. But they had no prior experience with feature length films. Lorne Michaels, though, had confidence in them. And he envisioned the film as a different and this is his quote, a different generation's comedy. So the studio wanted the film to maintain the PG-13 rating, like dodgeball. They wanted to follow that template. Dodgeball was PG-13, did well. So the script had to match their standards, which is, this is according to director Akiva Schaefer, was another way of saying, just dumb it down. So this involved deleting scenes designed for Feral. Now, Samberg has gone on to say that the original script it was so well-written, like just a just a tremendously well-written script, but they had to pull stuff out. To please Paramount and replace it with their own. And they, you know, Sandberg said he, he didn't want it to seem like he was doing a Will Ferrell impression. So the result was this balance between weird humor and what Paramount considered accessible. And Sandberg was very inspired by Wet Hot American Summer, which was, according to him, designed to fuck around with what's expected from a movie. That also tracks. I could absolutely see them like Wet Hot American Summer being something. There's a part in this. I'll talk about it when we get to the notes. That reminds me of a Wet Hot American Summer joke that I love so much. But like, I I went into this last night with that in mind that they had like really taken inspiration from Wet Hot American Summer, and uh, you absolutely can see it when you're watching this.
1: Yeah, there's Uh, definitely a um, a very specific kind of I don't know if I'd call it meta humor, but like at the the time that this came out, there were a lot of things where just half the joke is kind of pointing out the artifice of a movie, you know, that like uh, playing with the sort of structure and conventions and what you would expect and being like, aha, we're pointing out that the movie is using movie logic or whatever. You know, there's the thing about the conveniently priced surgery and the riots breaking out, Uh, you know, things like that, where, where hot American summer was also very much about pointing out that the medium that it itself was in, they share a lot of that. I think.
0: Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, that makes, and, and, and the, the idea that like, you know, Sandberg, look, like I love, I was okay. Again, when I talk about being like a 20, I was at the age when the Lonely Island was coming up on Saturday. I hadn't watched Saturday night live in a decade. You know what I mean? And I was like, Saturday night live is so bad now. And then like, once I saw this, I was like, fuck that. I love these guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's yeah. like, on Springs, like he's a really, really, really funny guy. And, and, um, I'm not surprised to learn, you know, he obviously he grew up watching like loving like Adam Sandler, happy Madison. And, and, uh, but the white American summer thing. Yeah. Like as soon as I, as soon as I read that, I was like, I'm going to think about that watching this and it's just 100% you can see it. Um, so just a few little tidbits or trivia, I guess during the opening scene where they're filming the opening scene, when Rod attempts to jump over the bus, the stamp man playing Rod actually broke his leg in that scene. So oh, that, it's that was- so good. And you can, you can see it.
1: Like if you watch it properly, you can just sort of see the way that he immediately flops to the ground because they uh-huh. kept the take where the guy broke his leg. <laughs> it looks, which well- is apparently, it's like a stuntman tradition thing. It's supposedly that like you keep the one where the person injured themselves as like a hey, <laughs> because this is what happened to you. This is what we will do to honor it. It's fucked
0: up, <laughs> <laughs> right? right um I, I and that's i i understand that though if i were a stuntman and i like i think about the think about like you put your body on the line for a job and and the worst happens and you actually break something i would want that to be kept up, unless you were like it was like a a, uh you know something where you're like paralyzed or something then obviously you don't want that it, but like if it was like one where you like you're you're suffering for your art i would want that to be the take they used also you know what i mean like yeah. i get that <laughs> stuntmen are nuts um oh man
1: it just it really every time i watch it now that's all i can think about because you can see the angle at which his leg hits the top of the ramp and then he just goes completely like ragdolls really
0: adds impact to that moment (laughs) uh this i love this one bill hader's long hair in the movie not a wig instead he actually had hair extensions put in which he wore everywhere through the entire summer that they were filming the movie it's a good look for him as like that
1: like vaguely like the nerdy metalhead dude you know who plays like a ton of warhammer 40k or whatever
0: he is that guy it suits him perfectly (laughs) yo it's it's great it is funny to think where hater has come since this movie you know what i mean like we're at the point where like everybody's like bill hater's gonna win an oscar someday you know what i mean like yeah that's where we are with him um All of Sandberg's stunt doubles... This is so good. All of Sandberg's stunt doubles had prosthetic noses to make them seem as big as Andy's. So Jorma and Akiva played a joke on Sandberg by requesting the prosthetics be larger than his own nose so it would make him feel insecure. (laughs) Christ, a lot. That's brutal. (laughs) Um, And this one is like getting... Okay, so test audiences always get accused of fucking things up. But this is one situation Mm -hmm. where test audiences made the right call because many jokes from the film that were deemed too weird, as I said, were cut. And initially, Schaefer wanted to cut the cool bean scene. But uh, Sandberg and Jorma went back and re-edited themselves. So Schaefer put it back in for one final test screening, and it ended up being the audience's favorite scene. So that's how we ended up with that in the movie. But he was apparently fighting hard to get that taken out of the movie. And thank you test audiences you preserved something completely inexplicable and beautiful (laughs) they must have had like the the, i swear to god it had to have been like a bunch of like stone like i can't imagine like a normal test audience who like finds things too inaccessible that are you know what i mean like they're always accused of like if it's got a sad ending they hate that like if (laughs) with a downer ending they're mad or whatever like this had to have been like the coolest test audience ever because like you said it's not it's such an inaccessible weird joke It's hard to imagine test audience being like, that's my favorite part. The whole movie. (laughs) um, Okay. So let's talk hot rod. You know, one thing watching it last night, because I didn't, again, I don't, when you put on a movie like this, half the time, it's just like, I want to laugh. So I I had, I had to kind of put on my, like, I'm going to think critically about this cap. One of the things that I love about this movie, and it's like, you see it particularly in the opening, but there's increasing, there's scenes throughout the movie as funny as it is and as weird as things are it feels so much like small town bored kids dicking off in this yeah you know like it really nails that feeling and it does it a lot like like him guessing the jelly bean flavors with his buddies like that is shit that like small town bored kids do take away the like jumping buses and stuff like yeah
1: or, or or Rico with the, the fireworks. I found some fireworks. But the itself. fireworks is so perfect. Especially oh, his line delivery on that, where the emphasis is kind of all wrong on like every single word when he's asking. Like it's just the most <laughs> matter-of-fact thing in the world. I I really this movie feels like it's trying, or no, maybe not even trying, but like it is exactly targeted at like outer suburbia. Millennials I guess In that the movie Sort of exists In this kind of Timeless Period Where like All the Interior decorations Kind of from like The 70s or 80s All the clothes Are kind of from the 70s or 80s The music's kind of From the 70s or 80s The technology is kind of From the 90s and the 2000s But like It's Just Look It feels like it's kind of Just inhabiting the Memories of someone who now would be, you know, 35 to 45. And then, yeah, that real feeling of just, like, well, what do you do when you're, like, in a small town or you're, you're not really near anywhere? You just ride around on your bike and you do dumb shit. You think about wrestling and you listen to hair metal. And, like, it captures the flavor of all of that
0: in such a beautiful way. Yeah. Like, it really does. For all the goofy, surreal, whatever you want to call it, humor. Like, it... Because, it, I mean, look, my buddies, I have... We have done that shit where we found like old fireworks, like when we were younger, like we, you know, find like something from the 4th of July that was hauled over and be like, and you don't think we're doing like the most rebellious thing in the world. Like you want to go like these bottle rockets or whatever, you know what I mean? And like, (laughs) yeah, sometimes they, sometimes they'd be waterlogged or yeah. So it really, and then, but then of course, like I said, then we get the Eagle flying overhead and that the the really hilarious even though someone broke their leg crash and then it just immediately cues the music you know what i mean so like then it automatically kind of pulls you away from that and lets you know like okay we're about to see some really goofy shit here (laughs) um yeah and and sandberg is so good at playing the type of character he plays in this like that scene where he's telling kids about the pool stunt you know he kind of does this like he does it in pop star and in palm springs where he's like He's sort of smarmy, but like a childlike way, like he's like a huge 12 year old. You know what I mean? Like he's got this like um, childlike quality to every character that he plays. But because if he just if you pulled that out, then he would just be like that smarmy smarmy is not the right word. Do you get what I'm saying? Like he has like yeah. a um a definite sort of like character that he's really good at playing. This and it's going uh, sound
1: very wanky, but like it's vulnerability he's doing a child's bravado you know like it's it's the absolute confidence of like a 10 year old lying about owning a ferrari but their parents say they're not allowed to show you the ferrari you know like where that is, they know you know that they're full of shit but they're still
0: trying the act on right you nailed exact that is how I was that's what i was kind of trying to that's why i was like smarmy's not the right word but yes it's like like, yeah, like my dad can tear a phone book in half bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, like that kind of thing that he's or my yeah, like my dad works for Nintendo or something. Like that kind yeah. of He's hundred percent
1: that kid. And like we all knew that kid who would just like lie constantly, try and seem very confident about all this stuff they didn't know anything about or whatever. But there's also there's that visible uncertainty there. You know, the the reason people lie to sound more interesting is because of insecurity, and that's very visible in the character
0: yeah he's not a confident guy like that's again this movie never gets too serious and uh, like i mean that's like putting it lightly there are moments where it like tries to (laughs) you know like his whole thing with his real dad and wanting to make his dad proud and like the fact that they point out that like despite everything with him and frank like he's his real father and he loves him that's as close as this movie gets to being sweet. but like yeah but like you know that's that's a part of his character is that he's like a not a confident guy, and this is kind of why he does this shit that he does because he's like a uh uh I don't know how old he's supposed to be in this movie. I never really gathered how old. I don't think they, they ever say his age in this. I don't think they do. So I don't know if they're supposed to be like I'm assuming out of high school, but probably like not quite twenty. You know what I mean? Like nineteen or something yeah. would be my. Guess they're yeah. supposed to I'd, be. I'd say early to mid twenties. I reckon would be my guess. And that might be, yeah, that might be it too. But, uh, well, that, and that's another thing. So when I, the first time I saw this movie, I, I, I didn't see it until it came out on video. And like, you know, my brother and a few of my friends were like, dude, it's so funny. You've got to watch it. I had no idea what it was about, right? I mean, I remember the commercials and I thought it was like, he's a wannabe, Evil Knievel or whatever. I had no idea. So like, when it when he suits up for a fight, and he's talking about fighting and then you know, like it was so funny We <laughs> learn that it's a stepdad whose respect he has to earn and that's when the plot really ventures off into weird story that was the moment where i was like okay i am gonna love this and then when i found out it was ian mcshane like it is unreal that they got ian it's mcshane to- <laughs> yeah i mean
1: like sissy spacek and ian mcshane as the parents is just like
0: crazy
1: good casting for these like essentially bit parts and i like that i love the fighting a stepdad to earn his respect and especially if you go into it blind and he's just sort of suiting up he's putting on the pads he's does the little war chant beforehand uh and you're like okay that makes sense because this is like rod logic that he would need to fight his dad to earn his respect but knowing that the dad is also in on that like they have both <laughs> agreed to this <laughs>
0: yeah yeah it's a thing they do it's their relationship is fighting one another <laughs> um, yeah, he's just as insane as rod like he immediately stands he's he's doing when you meet a stepdad he's laying on the floor doing bench press and immediately stands and starts throwing him around like it is so f- oh, fucking funny
1: it's so perfect listening to that like ennio Marcone, uh gringo like me <laughs> like
0: yeah, doing yes. exercises with a medicine ball <laughs> <laughs> and, and what well, and the thing about ian mcshane too I, m- look my favorite i honestly like when i think of ian mcshane ian mcshane will always be like the one of the funniest people in the world to me because do you remember when he was on game of thrones and he said something that happened and people got mad and his reply his apology was i'm sorry i ruined your tits and dragon show like he is god he's good he's so good so like the he doesn't take himself super seriously so it's not really that weird that he's on here but at the time i just knew him from deadwood you know what i mean yeah. I was, it is crazy they got him on here well and i also liked it up until that fight you don't know if his mustache is supposed to be real because he's had it on the entire time like you don't know i, I think it it's it's very funny that like because he never takes it off you, you don't know if it's there's movies that do jokes based around the fact that like a prosthetic piece looks so fake they
1: don't yeah it's, it's meant not to an, be an
0: unspoken joke. Yeah. yeah and they and then he tells him that he can't grow a mustache. And what does he say? I've got a disorder. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, this is the, okay. I couldn't remember exactly what the joke was, but here's the joke where I was like, this reminds me of Wow Hot American Summer. When he meets Denise and she's walking away and he says, you look pretty. And she says, what'd you say? And he says, I said, you look shitty. That's the, the I want you inside me scene from Wow Hot American Summer. Like I love yeah. jokes like that where somebody says something when someone's walking away and then covers up by saying something completely different. It's so
1: perfect. The delivery on it where it's just that little like the little pause before he does it. And then how like vehemently says it as well. Oh, it's so good. I love this movie so much. <laughs> also, apparently this is a weird bit of like not very interesting trivia. But in that scene specifically, it was raining outside and they had to digitally remove the rain from the shot, which seems like a crazy <laughs> amount of work to
0: what reward. I don't know. <laughs> right right who cares if it's right well i i see and i i i didn't know that going in i wonder if it was like continuity thing where they had to get rid of it because like oh, this yeah. filmed around it um that's the only thing i can assume because why the hell would they care like it doesn't make sense because that yeah. probably cost a lot more money than they needed to spend on it you know yeah uh, but hater like i said then we learned that his, his stepdad died like i said they or his real dad died we get some motivation for rod's weirdness but it like i said it never plays it too seriously like he's mm. it what's as it gets is him being sad and then when when kevin comes in and he's what is he he screams at him to get out of the room or something like that it's it's it's, yeah. it's you know it, it pulls the rug out when it looks like it's going to maybe get melodramatic um i love hater haters he doesn't have a lot of lines in this he's kind of the quiet one of the group but there are so many when he's trying to kick uh what's his name richardson out of the pool and he's just deep sighing into that megaphone just <laughs> <laughs> yeah really perfect um like
1: physical comedy there just his posture the way he stands just holding the megaphone is just wonderful he's doing a lot by not doing very much
0: <laughs> and uh his brother Kevin's not there and Denise comes to watch the stunt and if you've seen any movies like this before like you know it's going to go awful even with the help of his his totem fox spirit but it's so funny he's not even close in that jump he like he makes it like 4 feet into the pool and the fact that he not only does he not make it but he tumbles like face first into the pool is what makes it so funny like he's like top heavy
1: <laughs> it describes like a perfect arc like it just goes nose down immediately and like the way they shoot it where they cut out the music like just before he does it as well so it's just perfectly silent as he goes in and then cuts (laughs) to him soaking wet walking home (laughs) wonderful
0: well and and again you got when i saw this the first time okay so i knew he liked to fight his dad but i really didn't know where the plot was going so when you find out exact when i find out exactly what the plot was for me was so unbelievably funny that like so he gets home and finds out that frank needs a heart transplant but they don't have the money and i love the line too where he's like he's been sick for how long 21 years and uh, <laughs> and, and rod wants well, to live <laughs> yeah kevin we didn't we didn't think you could handle it i could have handled it <laughs> um but the, the, the fact that the plot of this movie is that he wants to raise the money the as you said chris parnell says the conveniently priced fifty thousand dollars so yeah. that he can save frank to kick his ass and earn his respect it's like the plot of dirty work basically like that's kind of the plot of dirty work that he he, i feel like um
1: that style of plot we need to raise x amount of money by using you know a specific skill that someone has or whatever i have only ever seen in comedy movies as if it's parodying a trope from a movie playing it sincerely you know i can't (laughs) think of an actual like serious movie where that was the
0: thing that they needed to do <laughs> but there has to be the, the, i it always makes me think of three stooges had like four episodes like that where they had to like raise money to save an orphanage kind of thing like that was like an uh-huh, old yeah. running gag in three stooges episodes um but yeah frank just i love that frank just keeps talking shit to him even when he's laying there dying and we get that that that, that movie montage of rod dancing in his quiet place and this is watching it last uh-huh. night this is kind of the moment where i even put in my notes like how the fuck did critics hate this on the first on on You know, like, the first time I've ever thought about it, but, like, I I wondered at that moment, like, how did critics hate this? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, I don't feel like you need to be, like, at a certain vibe with this movie to, like, think this is very funny. Like, him dancing in his quiet place is, is, like, and then they, like, falling four miles or whatever down that hill. Like, it's so good. It's incredible. Like, I just can't imagine...
1: A studio letting them put in that long of a fall sequence, but it's still in there. The cut midway through the song, like a hard cut right off, goes to perfect silence to just him saying, shit, and then just falling. Uh, So critics did fucking hate this movie, except for Roger Ebert, who immediately liked it. He was like a massive fan.
0: He thought it was fantastic. Which is so good. You know, every episode I open with how critics feel. I'm like, Roger Ebert is basically the only critic i like siskel too but roger ebert's like the one critic that like i respect his opinion more than like anyone's i love roger ebert loved roger ebert and uh he got it wrong a lot of times but it's wild how many times he championed movies that everyone else hated it is so wild yeah. to me when i look up like a really poorly reviewed movie what was one that i just saw recently i do it i didn't do it for this show congo the michael crichton movie the uh the eight movie. <laughs> just watched that like a month ago too <laughs> ebert was what like a strange a little song. movie yeah yeah it is it's a weird uh, that's the one that i saw in theaters and hated when i saw it but yeah ebert was like what he called it like the beginning of like a brand new way of making he like really like s- like slathered hyperbole on congo which is so funny he just had these that and anaconda he was right about anaconda though anacondas in yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> it's very but, funny that he just like got to the end saw
1: super chips and lasers and
0: was like well that's cinema baby <laughs> Uh, yeah just a really 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 hard to predict guy that's why i loved roger so much um that and the fact that he was like immensely horny his entire
1: (laughs) oh my god that man is just the most tit forward like (laughs) critic of all time
0: um so yeah i love how he gets his idea too he sees a billboard for skydiving and that's like oh i could i could do a huge jump and raise fifty thousand dollars and uh jump 15 buses, one more than Evil Knievel, and I love Dave trying to sneak away while he's explaining it, like he's giving his big plan and Dave's just kind of like walking out quietly like to work. Um, another very small town thing is is now I never did this celebrating. Actually, this is even a small town thing. It's like everybody, the, where they celebrate by popping bubble wrap in the back room at the uh, stock room. Yeah. and I don't even know where the hell they're at, just popping bubble wrap to celebrate.
1: Um, uh, yeah, the stock room of the ice rink, I believe, which is a is very okay? perfect like shit job kind of thing and he's like he's got to go to work and he's just like there handing out skates while he's you know going through the plan
0: oh, it's so good <laughs> um and denise i love the part i i could not remember last night it's one of those jokes that i did not remember in the movie as many times as i've seen this is is when denise wants to join and he's like you got to do something really crazy and then he just dumps his <laughs> drink on her shoe like, it's just it's just so uh one of my favorite bits in this movie, though, is where he introduces himself as the one that likes to party and then everyone else starts saying that. And he's just getting increasingly more mad that they're and then like what Rico's like, I also do stunts like I love. <laughs> it's almost like a. Um, there's no wordplay, but it almost reminds me of like a Zucker Abram Zucker sort of joke. That's sort of confusing,
1: uh, like. Yeah, in a Zucker, Abram-Zucker thing, they would have also had names that corresponded with the things that they wanted to do or whatever. Mm -hmm. It reminds me a little bit of um, how Coen brothers write dialogue when they were ripping off the way Preston Sturges writes dialogue, where there'll be, like, four people in a conversation that are all very slightly at cross-purposes, and one of them is just repeating the same line over and over. There's really good examples of that in, like... uh, Basically every Coen Brothers movie, but it's that same sort of thing where there's a little bit of repetition, there's a little bit of correction going on. It's got a
0: really nice rhythm to it. Yeah, Lebowski does that. I mean, there's so many callbacks in Lebowski where, like, even now as many times I've seen Lebowski, there's times where I catch ones where I'm like, oh yeah, that's him. Like the dude is saying something that he absorbed like a sponge off of TV. Oh, it's so good. How much
1: of his dialogue is just him repeating stuff other people have said earlier on? It's perfect. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's great. Uh, Oh, also, Dorma's hair because kevin kevin is such a funny kevin is like the sweetest guy in the world like sweet kevin you know what i mean and i love i don't know if this is what jorma's hair looked like in real life or if it was a choice for the character of kevin but it is perfect it is like the perfect like kind of bowl cut almost yeah kind of like lego man hair a little bit yes that's exactly lego man hair yes um the best jokes in this movie, you know, like as funny as this movie is like the, my favorite jokes in this movie, like the cool beans part, but like the one where they're all imitating the bell when they ding it, like it just, and it goes on for longer than it should. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, 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 it goes on for like probably 20 seconds longer than it should. And that's what, that's what makes it so funny is when it continues. I just love when they do that shit. Um,
1: But yeah, like, I have a very hard time imagining that that joke was in the screenplay as it was originally written. That feels like something that must have happened in the moment. Like, I I just can't imagine writing that in advance and playing out how that would go. It's such an odd little joke. I think my favorite joke in the movie is at the start of that scene is when they cut to them starting to fill the pool the bit of dialogue that you hear the end of as they go into that scene is Bill Hader's character just saying, man, pools are perfect for holding water.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because, well, that's kind of Dave's thing. Dave's kind of like the dumb guy in the group. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, he's... Yeah. Um, so yeah and i love that they like that, that where they they you know drown rod on accident and uh when he wakes up and he's like did it look like we were making out kind of awesome <laughs> so, and, uh, then he starts like drowning after like 20 seconds of being in the water as well yeah <laughs> yeah it's not long at all he's like struggling mightily to not die <laughs> uh and then the street loose thing you get the really funny whiskey and what like I, again just I love weird shit like that. Like I love like that on paper that would not be funny. You'd be like, what makes this funny? You know what I mean? But like yeah, it play out, it's it's great. It's so fucking funny. Um that um that them having not directed
1: a feature film before or written a feature film before definitely I feel comes through in that uh those sorts of sketches where well yeah scenes, sorry, where they're a uh, sketch, you know, they're like these little self-contained this would have been something they would have made as a YouTube short at some point, but instead there's a bunch of them strung together to make a movie. Like before I ever (laughs) saw this movie, uh, because I didn't see it in the cinemas either. I saw it by, renting it from the local video store as we did at the time after a friend of mine described all of the funniest scenes to me word for word in person i was like fuck that sounds like a great movie which included them just like doing a one-man act out of the whiskey scene i'm was like, yeah, i
0: sold i'm in yeah I'm, I'm in well and like that scene also caps off with because danny mcbride in this movie you know danny mcbride has sort of like and again, I don't say this in a bad way It anyway, Danny McBride is one of those guys who's kind of over the course of his career. He's like, he's got a lane. you know what I mean? Like Danny McBride plays a particular type of character. And in this movie, Rico is a lot more subdued, but we get to see McBride do the McBride thing when he starts attacking yeah. the guy who owns the RV and he screams, I've been drinking green tea all goddamn day, <laughs> which is probably my favorite line in the whole movie is, is him. Uh, what else do you say? Like, yeah, I've been definitely- going
1: to church. I've been going to church every goddamn Sunday. You're going to bring the demons out of me. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. It, it's a, yeah, it's a way more subdued version of him, except for like the two moments where he starts yelling. They're like, yeah, who am I going to build ramps for now? <laughs> <Just> <laughs> yeah. the inside into the core of that character. He's just a man that
0: likes building ramps. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then will arnett who is also unbelievably funny and this is denise's much older boyfriend like he's just he like calling kevin precious it's will arnett because will arnett is so good at playing a fucking dick and and uh he's such a good he's so like and, and he's just and you know and then you find out that he's really successful and is a Rod's advice to her is that you guys should break up. But like Will Arnett is again, they kind of everyone plays to their particular strengths in this movie. Um, except for we just talked about McBride, kind of only getting a few chances to do his McBride thing. But like Will Arnett is like the fact that his friend is named Sullivan, which is such like a good name for a dickhead friend. Like you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. I'm I owe you Sullivan. a shot to the nuts. It's such a <laughs> good like
1: hello. It's perfect.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. And then, like, when they go on that double date that Rod sets up. And I love too when Dave finds out that he's on that double date and he says, I am green with jealous rage. <laughs> it's like one <laughs> of those really lines. Um, you know, when they have that double date, the Jonathan ordering three flaming Dr. Peppers at a sit-down restaurant is also just such a fucking dickhead thing to do. Like, we're at, like, if like going to Applebee's and being like, Give me uh three 151 and cokes or something. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. don't do that in a place like that. Um and then like when he gets up from the table, don't you two go falling in love? Oh, like that'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Super broad performance. So good. <laughs> well and then when they're sitting alone at the table too and Rod gives that extremely detailed description of how his dad died, his teeth ground into dust. He died instantly the next day. <laughs> the next day. <laughs> Magic. <laughs> uh, but so they're not making enough money and rod rod uh they they start trying to raise money faster and i just love how it's they're like terrorizing children that's how they make their money is by like traumatizing kids at birthday parties like that's that's their whole thing is just traumatizing children lighting themselves on fire and running through the um kids birthday parties and uh some of the other, I don't remember what the other stunts they do. The one I can remember the most is them like running on fire through a children's birthday party. But, like it's just
1: yeah, again throwing the putting Rod in a barrel and throwing him into the pool, and then having to shoot the yeah. lock off to get him out.
0: That's right. <laughs> um, I, another line that I love in this too, because Kevin again, sweet Kevin has made that highlight reel of Rod to try to raise that money, and he says, "You're the next Douglas Bubble Trousers," which is <laughs> oh like, my god. <laughs> It lives in my brain. So much. just Douglas
1: <laughs> <sungless> bubble trousers.
0: <laughs> that is one of those that I imagine either, either that was improv or they workshop that for the perfect name for him to say for like a whole day of writing when they were putting this together, yeah. like perfect name for, for <laughs> the director that I'm going to call him. Um, but they blanket the town with flyers and ads, and then everyone laughs and taunts him over Kevin's highlight reel. And I love that Rod thinks he's jealousy because he's short. And uh Rod screaming, What do you want when the cops come? is also one of those lines that just fucking cracks me up. Uh yeah, some real good
1: um like brother rivalry stuff there, like just yelling at each other about who was taller
0: is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, as somebody with two like I have no sisters, I have two brothers and uh you know i mean we by the time we were their age we had gotten well past that stuff but some of the shit that we used to get into fights about were so stupid like it's the only things you could get in a fight with with a sibling but uh so the damage was five thousand dollars which gives that the bill does away with the money that they raised and uh this is where he learns that his dad wasn't actually a stunt man he was just a cashier who got a picture with evil kenevil and choked to death on pie <laughs> he wanted to win that contest so bad <laughs> that, another
1: great line delivery there she says it so wistfully and so sincerely it's so beautiful.
0: and then again not that like sandberg and jorma and all of them are like bad actors by any means or isla fisher any of them but like you've got people like space second ian mcshane here who can it's that leslie nielsen thing to bring up zucker abram zucker again where like you take a funny line and deserve, deliver it completely sincere you know what i mean like yeah, with, with yeah with actors
1: that can carry that which is so crazy to me that like uh, and Leslie Nielsen spent the first oh, f- 40 years of his career having not done any uh comedic roles whatsoever until they were just like, wait, what if we get him to say a bunch of stupid shit as sincerely as he's been saying it?
0: Uh, I, I, and it's magic, it's pure magic. I just posted on Twitter sometimes there's a scene from Police Squad, not that I mean, I love, I love the Naked Gun movies, but there's a part in Police Squad where he goes on this spiel in front of a grieving widow about a friend that he used to have that he lived with. And like it was, it was, and the, and the town thought they were a couple and it's just, he won't stop talking about it. He stops for a second, lets her say something else. And then he'll jump into like, he was a phys ed teacher, but he wasn't, all, he wasn't all sinew and muscle. He had a brain. Like it's just, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's the funniest fucking thing in the entire world. Like that is, like yeah so that's exactly why a line like that works is when you've got somebody delivering a line that is absurd in the moment but delivering it completely straight-faced if you have a great actor it's so good um but i love how rod goes on a downward spiral and becomes normal rod and he's like in a shirt and tie shopping for groceries and uh you know, <laughs> with a shopping cart that's entirely full of booze
1: as well <laughs> <It's->
0: <laughs> Yeah, and uh, it makes Dave Enrico Rico cry, and uh, he does the too legit to quit thing, you know. But now I'm not legit; I'm unlegit, and for that reason, I must quit. Which is like a joke that anybody who like if somebody uh, the uh, the 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 clip where the, my favorite Lonely Island bit ever ever is the thing where they do the OC sh- the where it's like them shooting each other and that fucking yeah, song yeah, yeah. keeps pulling, you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, but that was like. I I remember somebody saying that, like, that is, like, what made young millennials give the sense of humor that they have today. A joke, like, too legit to quit is something that they might not even understand. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those jokes that, like, how many people, like, MC Hammer, yes, had some really big songs, and that was one of them. But, like, Can't Touch This is the one that kind of lives in the cultural lexicon, not too legit to quit. So, like, that's one of those jokes that, like, is specifically aimed at somebody who's 43 years old. (laughs) Yeah, Um, 100%. Uh, and I love, too, that when Dave calls him to take him to the hospital, that he's sleeping in the shirt and tie. Like, that is also, like, a really funny capper <laughs> on that joke. That, like... <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, just uh, that scene, wonderfully done as well. That, like, oh, uh, just, you know, if you wanted to, like, take me to hospital or anything, <laughs> like, really sort of <laughs> indifferent way that he
0: asks. Well, and, and I love, too, that he's like, oh, man, wait till you hear this story. And it's literally just that he did acid that a piece of metal flew off his grinder and hit him in the eye. And it's so funny because it seems like it's going to be this really long, hilarious story. And it's like something that yeah. could happen to anybody.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh man, it was totally serendipitous.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when he gets out, he drops. This is again, I talked about Dave being kind of the dumb guy, but he gives really good advice at one point. And that's where he's the one that says like, Hey man, I'm sorry about your dad, but you've got a real dad at home too. And he secret. The, the, you know that you secretly love and you're like you know, don't be down about your dad not being a stuntman and uh kevin doing karaoke when rod comes home and apologizes is, is also very funny he's like just kevin just kevin's so fucking weird he's so weird just immediately switching it
1: off and then standing there with that like real hunched posture like he knows what's coming is, <laughs> this is very wonderful
0: and then of course yeah we get the cool bean scene which again watching it last night i was like this movie not that it would have, like, ruined the movie by any means, but, like, the the Cool Beans scene is kind of, like, that extra weird joke that really... It's the one that I remember the most after watching this the first time. Like, it's the one that stuck out in my head for, like, the next year after I saw this for the first time was the Cool Beans part. Because it is... It's just that... It's that Lonely Island sort of sensibility taken to its, like, extreme. You know what I mean? Like, it is perfect.
1: Yeah, and it's odd in that it's, like this again is one of those ones that feels a bit like a youtube short because it's literally remixing a scene from the movie while the movie is happening you know which is such an odd uh like it sort of breaks the idea that it's a movie almost for a little bit right
0: right right you're watching somebody like fidgeting with the film while you're watching it is what it feels like um but yeah, so you find out that his video went viral, the radio station wants to sponsor his jump. I love Chris Parnell. I like Chris Parnell is I, I like he's been in a ton of shit, but it almost feels like he's kind of an underrated comedic actor. You know what I mean? Like he's I mean he's been doing Archer for years, so he's had that under his belt, but like like I think about him in like uh Walk Hard when he gets really pissed oh, off at doing, and screams at him out of nowhere. Like he is a funny, funny guy.
1: And he's always in the background. He's always like a quiet Quiet achiever, always gets these really good little bit part roles, but he's never, like, I, I feel like he was just a guy I always noticed and then never knew what his name was for a very long time, you know? He's <laughs> right. never really getting, like, a starring role, but he's so
0: fucking funny. Yeah, like when he's explaining to them and he also he also has a great AM radio or not AM even, just radio host voice, like perfect voice for that, but when he's explaining that Calvin peeing tattoo is so fucking funny, like he's like very detailed explanation of what that tattoo means. <laughs> oh, and <laughs> the, the dryness with which he does it where he's
1: like it's improbable, I know. He um <laughs> he reminds me very much of uh like the character types he plays. Um, reminds me of Andy Daly. How he always has these like small parts where he's someone who's like very committed to the act of broadcasting or to being professional in the face of like he's always a straight man trying to put on this production while everything else else around him is crazy. You know, it's uh yes. very nice. Also, just the idea of having someone
0: be very passionate about AM radio. <laughs> yeah, well, like and that and the, you know that he's because I, I you almost. Because at the time that they start this, there's like 25 minutes left in the movie. And I was thinking that they were going to have like Chris Parnell was going to play a much, the first time I saw it, much different type of character. Because I didn't realize they were going to stretch it out to the big jump. I kind of thought that because as soon as he says, I spent my last $15,000 on this, I was like, somehow Chris Parnell is going to lose everything. And then he's going to be yeah, like, yeah, they're
1: oh. going to ruin it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, so and I love too when when he calls Jonathan when he calls Jonathan to to give Denise that message and he's like, Did you really write that down? Or are you just waving your arm around in the air? <laughs> like, it's is uh, such a funny that he knows that's what the, he's
1: doing. The music cue that finishes that scene is like it's taken from like a you know bad Hallmark movie or something where it's like that really ominous sting while he just stares into nothing it's just a yeah. little
0: note perfect piece of editing it's so good yeah <laughs> and, was, and again will arnett has a really good they they would do that a couple i mean they did that sort of same sort of face with him in rest of development where he'd be like you could tell he's plotting something you know and it'd hang on him making that same sort of face that he was doing so um but frank's taking a bad turn and he tells rod the reason he was so hard on him is because he's got to be the man when he's gone and uh still talking shit to him though uh, so there's the part where rod's doing tai chi and that old man's helping that has to be a reference to roadhouse because there's that part in roadhouse where dalton is doing tai chi and the old man that he's renting from is just kind of watching him in awe and yeah. like that yeah. kind of how that starts off i don't I, I have no way to prove that but that's what i thought last night watching this i was like this feels like they're referencing roadhouse in this particular yeah it definitely scene. feels
1: like it it shares some dna there for
0: sure <laughs> it's fuck roadhouse, yeah. movie. <laughs> oh it's i mean it's one of my absolute favorites um but everyone's singing you're the voice again this is another one of those this when you talk about how it felt like it could have been one of the youtube shorts that whole scene where they're all walking singing you're the voice and then that riot breaks out is what the hell was that was that because of us like enrico's oh. carrying me, saying how ugly it all was but also the tv just appears in his hands like at the
1: start yeah. of the scene is he's, he's I don't think he's visibly carrying it. That he's like, yeah, all you can do is hope that you're safe. Well, th- <laughs> so, as an Australian watching that movie, having your the voice come in felt fucking crazy. Like that yeah. song has so much unbelievable cultural power within Australia <laughs> that to, to see it pop up <laughs> in like uh, a you know an offbeat American comedy felt
0: nuts. Very strange well, uh- moment it's a strange pull too, because I'll uh, talk about it. When we talk about the song during the soundtrack, but like, that was not a big hit in the U S like, I don't know that I was familiar with that song until this movie. You know what I mean? And I like, I, I look, I, I was like an MTV kid. Like I do every song that came out when I was five years old. <laughs> um, And I, I don't think I had any recollection of that song before I saw this movie. So like really funny pull on their part too, even like as big as it is in Australia. And it was huge in like the UK and stuff too. But like, um, yeah, it's it's just a really funny pull that they pulled that one out for that particular scene. Uh, yeah. But Jonathan also just to point out what an absolute piece of shit he is when he gleefully runs that raccoon over, and again he's like, "I got to tell Solomon about this. He ain't gonna <laughs> believe it." <laughs> and what is he? He's such a vile person. I'm gonna get some dong bags so we can bang later. Like it's just it's it's so funny. You can see him like
1: gleefully playing these characters. Like he's just so happy about it he's so comfortable doing these sorts of parts he loves it
0: oh yeah he's perfect at it i mean like i job was what made me as much as i love arrested development and as much as i love tobias like the moment that i knew that i was a fan of arrested development was the part where in the first episode, when he he t- puts Michael senior in the box and says, dad, just get into the box and I'll make you disappear. I was like, I love this character. Like he is my favorite character in the show right now. <laughs> um, he has my so favorite good. line in that show. when he says, I'm an ideas man, Michael. I think I proved that with fuck mountain. That is like my favorite <laughs> line. And, <laughs> And we get like a tremendous, too, when Denise dumps him and it's just him screaming, babe, wait, babe, babe, wait, babe, wait, babe, wait, over and over. Again, one of those jokes that goes on for way longer than it should and becomes insanely funny because it goes on for as long as it does. Like
1: It's like 20 seconds of him screaming. The timing of it is just like there's these little pauses where you think he's maybe done. There's the final pause before he starts doing it one more time and then it cuts halfway through the final one. It's just like this little, it's like jazz. It's just fucking (laughs) uh, tease it out in the most wonderful way.
0: (laughs) Um, And and, and the team has souped up his whole act when we get to the big jump, you know, they've like done all these nice things, you know? Okay. I'll tell you something I did not know before last night was I did not know that that was Queens of the Stone Age on the stage playing.
1: Well, that was, uh, that seemed like this movie was designed in a lab for me at 17, like Queens of the Stone Age were my favorite band in the world. And like, I was just sort of looking at the members and being like, wait a fucking second. <laughs> That's goddamn <laughs> Queens of the Stone Age, which like <laughs> makes a lot of sense. They were so like Josh had already done a bunch of stuff with, oh, so Josh Holm from Queens of the Stone Age had done a bunch of stuff with uh, the Lonely Island through Eagles of Death Metal, his other band as well. And like, I think Queens of the Stone Age had done a few SNL appearances, but yeah, I mean we can talk about it when we get to the soundtrack, but the song they're playing is
0: a masterpiece. It is oh, incredible. And Josh looks so unbelievably funny in that fucking wig that he got. <laughs> that getup that they have him in is I mean, it is so good. And again, but I think by the time this came out, I was a little bit not as big on Queens of the Stone Age as I was. I still like them, but you know, for me it was like rated R, rated R is like one of my favorite albums of all time. Um Songs for the Deaf I just somehow it never clicked with me until I was doing this and, and then saw in the trivia that they were the band playing there. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? So like, That's so crazy. <laughs> um, and I love too, when he's giving his speech on the radio and he says, Frank, I'm going to get better. You old sack of shit. <laughs> and and, and the, Parnell, the crowd cheering at that line as well. <laughs> and Parnell playing it off on the radio too, where he's like, do you like jumps? What about terminal <laughs> stepfathers? <laughs> That's so to find. Uh, And I love, to where uh, Chris Parnell says, I'm not saying that Kiss was hot, but if the boner police are here, I demand a lawyer.
1: <laughs> does a little look around, does a little chuckle straight after it, like he loves his own joke.
0: <laughs> and I love how that, you know, and again, you know that the jump, he's again you know how this movie is going to play out you know he's going to raise the money but you also know that he's probably not going to make this jump and they're going to make that work somehow but i love how he's flying through the air giving the thumbs up and then it pulls out and his bike is like five feet beneath him is like (laughs) again just one of those insanely funny reveals as to how they did it
1: um like everyone looking at him giving the thumbs up and then cutting back and everyone just like in slow motion shaking their heads
0: and wincing (laughs) <laughs> and and Chris Parnell saying, I hope none of his crew had a fight with him this morning because he's most likely dead. <laughs> another one of those great lines. And then then it calls back to the taco grilled cheese fight in his out-of-body experience. <laughs> and uh yelling hubastank when he comes to is another one of those jokes that I completely forgot about that he wakes up and says the name Hubastank is is really fucking good. But he stands so that he can walk out and he's like, I think I got 20 or 30 broken bones. And you know, we get the, the, the <laughs> minimum just, <laughs> and it all just kind of, I love how it just, there's no, like it just kind of like, you know, we get the jump, the crowd's chanting his name, they raise the $50,000, Ebenezer Scrooge shows up. um, And, and we get to the very ending, which is Rod. Who's finally, I love how terrible his mustache that he's growing on his own looks in that last scene too. Uh, it's, it's that perfect, like, look, I, to- I, I, I I teach like middle school and high school. I've seen kids who like haven't realized that they can't really grow facial hair <laughs> yet,
1: trying to yeah, grow I think beard. I, I had that mustache at the time that I saw this movie, I'm pretty sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he gets his big fight with Frank, with his new heart, who throws a throwing star at him. The first time I saw this movie, you know, also I remember this, I expected as much as this is referenced like 80 shit, I thought for sure we were going to get a, a reference to the Rocky three ending where it's just like a, a, a cut or a, a freeze frame, right. When they're both like throwing punches at one another. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But we don't, we get this really dirty backyard brawl Parnell to be on like, should we stop them? <laughs> uh, and, and, and it ends with him. He, he Frank finally calls him a man and he hits him with that pants shitting move that Denise taught him earlier. And that's it. That's the end. Like it's, uh, just a perfect perfect ending for this.
1: Yeah, they it, they kind of play it both ways in that like, you know, they stress this whole we don't actually need to fight because I respect you already, blah 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 blah, blah. but then they still go for the fight because that's the comedy option, but then they still get that emotional closure of Frank saying, yeah, no, you beat me, you made me shit myself i respect you you are my son it's uh yeah it's good nice little uplifting ending yep yep it's perfect for it
0: hi everyone so i'm back with another patreon pitch but something's changed this time so i've been saying since the start of the patreon that this is basically what's going to help keep this show going and for people who might be sitting on the fence i have something exciting patreon picked me as part of a test group to try free trials So if you're someone who's been debating whether or not to get signed up, go to www.patreon.com forward slash soundtracker where you'll find my $3 tier, my $6 tier and my $8 tier. The $3 tier comes with a 14 day free trial and the $6 and $8 tiers come with a 30 day free trial. There's no commitment. And if you don't like it at the end of the month, you can cancel. But in that time, you can check out the bonus episodes and get a feel for it and see what you think. And if it's something you enjoy, hey, welcome aboard. But give it a shot, www.patreon.com forward slash Soundtracker. I'm not sure how long I'm going to be able to offer this, but as of now, it is something that I can offer. And it's exciting, and I'm hoping that this gets more people to check out these bonus episodes, because there's some truly great stuff in there, and more to come. All right, let's do the soundtrack now. So the soundtrack was composed by ex Yes guitarist Trevor Rabin, who also appears on here doing a few score tracks. It was released on July thirty first, two thousand seven, in the top ten the week that this soundtrack came out. This soundtrack didn't chart, and like you're not going to be surprised why when you like what's on the soundtrack, and then when you see what was like currently dominating the charts. Number one, Commons Finding Forever. Number two, Corn's Untitled. Number three. Now that's what I call music twenty five. And again, like I do in these the charts i look at what was on them at the time so this is what we called music in 2007 and honestly i don't to do this to make fun of them there's one song on two songs on here that i like uh fergie's glamorous fallout boys thanks for the memories justin timberlake's summer love and daughtry's home i like the middle two fallout boy and uh, timberlake but this sure. you know i just like to see what we were looking at at the time <laughs> um number four I don't know if I was going to get me fun of her saying I like Fall Out Boy. But <laughs> um, oh, no, I'm, I'm willing to let that fly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've admitted it on here before. Uh, number four, the Hairspray soundtrack. Number five, the Hannah Montana 2 soundtrack. Number six, Sean Kingston's self-titled album. Number seven, Kids Bop 12. <laughs> number eight, T.I. T.I. versus T.I.P. Number nine, Fergie's "The Duchess," and number ten, Lincoln Park's "Minutes to Midnight." So this soundtrack didn't stand a chance. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't going to compete with what was going on in music at the time. That is a grim list, kind of.
1: That is real slim, fucking pickings. God damn.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I was like, because yeah, I was kind of thinking I was listening to like popier music at at that age. Not super poppy, but I kind of thought there would have been at least one thing on there that I was like, oh fuck yeah, but uh. I didn't really like that Linkin Park album as much as I had loved the previous ones. Yeah. Uh, and everything else on there, it's kind of ass. God damn. Y-
0: Yeah. It's not a good, it's not a good. Um, Now I did do my, my, and see if anything here, probably not. It's always see yet again for me when I do these, like when I'm doing movies that exist within the nineties, it's a little more by 2007, I kind of lost track of like what would have been on the billboard top 10. You know what I mean? um Mm. so the further down the charts when i do these i just kind of look for like bands that i recognize but this is three bands or three albums below the top 10 just to give you a further idea of what the musical landscape was like by, by by bands that like you know and recognize that didn't crack the billboard top 10 so at number 45 we had paramore's riot which peaked at number 15 uh number six number 66 boys like girls self-titled album which peaked at number 55 and uh number 91 feist the reminder which peaked at number 16 i was more shocked that that peaked that high i didn't i I knew feist was big but like big in an indie way you know what i mean like i didn't realize that that had had sold that many but again at 2007 we were kind of hitting that point where like if you sold like 10,000 albums <laughs> you were you were going to place at least in the top 50 albums for the week um, Yeah. so the first song on this soundtrack is europe's danger on the track which is from the album final countdown So (laughs) there's a lot of Europe on here. I don't know if we were saying that before the show or during the show, but there's a lot of Europe on this soundtrack. And I had never really heard anything else from Final Countdown aside from the uh, title song and Carrie, which is like their power ballad single. So it's kind of good to know hearing this, that the rest of the album is as bombastic as the Final Countdown. And I liked that This one starts off with like an 80 synth Baba O'Reilly intro. Like it's that same, but it's like 80 synth music. Um, yeah. but then it settles into that meathead ass guitar and it's like a perfect choice for the movie it's like an 80s montage song <laughs> it's i
1: like the music's so fucking cheesy but there's something it's it's stirring it's hard to not like get into the vibe of it and it's it's produced so well as well there's like these big clean super dirty guitars like that just they they sound super punchy in the song while the vocals are just like sound like they're being sung in a massive hall. It's, yeah, it sounds very spacious. It's just cool in the cheesiest, worst way possible.
0: That's a a good, and like, so I, I, you know, I guess I'll spoil this now by the time I hit the last track, I was Europe'd out, but like I was, cause I'm not a big, <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's not music that I listen to, you know, I, I mean, obviously anyone who's listened to the show knows that hair metal is not my thing, but I've done a few hair metal soundtracks, you know, so I try to be as fair as I can with them and, um, or glam, whatever you'd call this. And, uh, but like, I enjoy them in the moment. And I enjoyed this song while I was listening to it for like the exact reasons you just said, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's bombastic and, and it's, it's big and it's very, I mean, everything in the eighties was produced to death, but like it's, it works for a lot of these songs. I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm fine with things being overproduced. So, um, there's, there's definitely something there that's very
1: good. It's just a shame that the whole aesthetic of like that hair, glad metal, and most of the lyrical content, everything about it kind of sucks. There's this uh, Doom metal band, I guess you mostly call them Doom, uh, from Virginia, I think, called Windhand. I don't think they would ever describe themselves this way, but they have the production quality of hair metal in that it's like their singer uh, is a Dorothea Cottrell, I think I might be, um, who sings in that super high like hair metal register, but... It's a way darker, doomier sound, but it captures that exact same like very spacious production, but in a way that actually sounds really fucking good. It's uh yeah, it's definitely there's a potential there for something very cool and I think they found it. I don't think Glam metal as a whole did.
0: Right. I, I was just actually writing down is well. It's funny because as much as I don't like this sort of genre, I also really love the darkness. You know what I mean? <laughs> Who is like yeah. doing that genre? Um, and like tongue in cheek, but also very seriously. You know what I mean? Like they took, they like, they took the musician, the craftsmanship they took seriously, the aesthetic they sort of were tongue in cheek with, you know, like, uh, So there's like, a you know, it sounds if you look, if I didn't, if I had never seen a darkness video and I just heard the album, I would have probably assumed it was from 1986 or something. You know what I mean? Like it it worked. But I liked it. Um, And it's really funny that we segue from that song to the Ennio Morricone song, A Gringo Like Me, which is actually from that song originated in Gunfight in the Red Sands, which was the very first Western score that he ever worked on. And what I like about this song is that, yeah, that I didn't know. I actually had to like, and it took me a minute to track down where this song originated. I didn't know what movie it originated with, but um, it's cool because you can see where he was heading with his sound on this score work. Even though this one has like a lounge singer singing on top of it, um, mm-hmm. and and like the instrumentation is super catchy too. That do do it's 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 a it's just a pretty funny choice to include on this soundtrack with a couple of the other songs that didn't make the cut that appear in the movie. That they picked this one. It's a really funny choice.
1: And it's it's the perfect uh, stepdad listening to something while he's exercising in the basement music as yeah. well because the lyrics are so literal, like it's just a, it almost it has the feel of a comedy song that you would make up for that scene except it was written quite sincerely
0: for for a movie, just not this one. <laughs> um uh so the next one on this is moving pictures never i talked about this song like the background on it more in depth on the footloose soundtrack because this also <laughs> appeared on the footloose soundtrack. It's where it originated was the footloose soundtrack so i'll just kind of say how i felt about this song i just kind of copy pasted because my feelings haven't changed on this one it reminds me a lot of holding out for a hero which is another song musically on that soundtrack and uh there's incredible synth work on this one, especially that build up to the chorus. And it's got like this super catchy chorus. And, and even with the huge sax solo at the end, I, I like this song quite a bit. And the sax solo is really fitting in this movie. <laughs> oh, a perfect use
1: of the song. Like, obviously, cause it's just parodying. It's essentially the same scene uh, from footloose, but heightening it quite a bit. Uh, yeah, it just, it works so good. And that yeah, again, that hard cut right in the middle of it to something that a movie using it not as a joke wouldn't do is right.
0: perfect, note perfect. Yeah. So good. Uh, and then we get to Stacey Q's Two of Hearts. So this song was first issued as an independent 12-inch dance club single by On The Spot Records, and then it was picked up by Atlantic after it started achieving these like big regional sales. It was written by John Mitchell, uh, the, and the song was her biggest hit. It ended up on her album Better Than Heaven. Now, this is funny. They recorded the album Better in Heaven in three weeks while this song was beginning to climb the charts. Like They were like, strike while the iron's hot and make a fucking album. <laughs> um, fuck, 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 we need an album, quick. <laughs> right, we gotta back this up. So it peaked at number three on the Billboard Hot 100, but this song almost didn't happen, at least for Stacey Q, because after her album Playback came out with, with the band SSQ, she began working with John St. James, on solo material and uh saint james brought her the song two of hearts suggesting that she record it and john after john mitchell had written it so john saint james took the song to her and was like you should record this and at first she refused to record a song written by somebody else but she eventually changed her mind and uh good for her because it's again her biggest hit but anyway as far as my as far as this song goes it's pretty much like perfect 80s pop song it gets full it's got 80s weirdness too like the glitchy i need you at the beginning the yeah. lyrics are so dumb i'm like when i'm what is that one lyric when i'm when i'm with you we're like hot coals in the fire but the chorus is insanely good and her little lines after two of hearts on the chorus are like, like where she like sings are used to such great effect. Like it's, it is, it's one of those like perfect eighties pop songs. And and again, perfect in the movie.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, it's catchy as fuck. And I think it's used in the movie, right. as the background for when they're just like dancing next to the van in the, that parking lot, which yes. is again, a
0: wonderful bit of characterization. Yeah. It's, it's well, and like, cause there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, like weird dancing like Richardson, the whole thing with Richardson. And I love that they put that song on here, which is like, it's just like his thing is that he dances and that what I didn't talk about the part where Kevin's the editing that video and Kevin and Richardson keeps getting closer to the camera and he like turns to look to see if he's in the room with them is also one of the <laughs> really funny little bits. Um uh So the next song is Europe's Cherokee, which is also from Final Countdown. This was a minor hit. It reached number 72 on the charts. The video was filmed a half a mile from where Fistful of Dollars was filmed. And when they were filming a scene in the video where horses run through the valley, someone on set accidentally set some brush on fire near the set. And the entire video crew, including the band members, had to stop what they were doing and fight the fire by quickly digging a trench around the fire to stop it from spreading. Um, Oh, my God. well, Well, the reason I mentioned that is because... This whole song, including the video, is very spinal tap shit. Like the beginning, the drummer saying we're gonna play now in Swedish, but like the lyrics to this song, good lord, Cherokees marching on the trail of tears. The, oh, like it's almost like there's Stonehenge, the version of Stonehenge. Like it's so it's so funny, it's trying to be so meaningful. <laughs> yeah, there's there's I think
1: and this is exactly the sentiment that's being parodied in like the, the gown, the Queens of the Stone Age song that's coming up in a little bit. But that, like, you are not equipped emotionally (laughs) or intelligently (laughs) to to do this, Swedish rock band Europe. You don't mention the Trail of Tears. Like, you're not, this song is not the setting (laughs) for you to discuss this. It's so wildly (laughs) inappropriate, but you can tell that, like, there's this complete naivety there that's just mind-blowing it's
0: yeah there's a very right. funny contrast like their hearts were in the right place and then, again like you said the thing about the song too is you said this isn't the song for it it's so generically 80s hair metal like this could have been one thousand other hair metal songs you know what i mean like it is
1: it could have been about anything um, like it's it's just, right does not have to be that don't
0: make it that <laughs> Um, so up next, we've got the Nutley Brass with Skulls, a Misfits cover from their album Fiend Club Lounge, which is an entire album of Misfits lounge covers. The Misfits themselves, not Danzig, and I've never heard from Danzig, he's not commented on it, but like everyone else in the Misfits, Jerry only, they all love this album. And like, honestly, I see why because I checked the album out, I've been listening to this album actually, and it's awesome. <laughs> um, the, the questions that I always ask with the cover song. Is it different enough to justify its existence? Yeah, God, yes, it's different. Different enough than the original. Did they fuck it up? No, not at all. Like I said, it's awesome. It sounds like something you hear in Star Trek. Like, it's all spacey and huge. Like, I genuinely love this song. Yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued as to why they picked it. Because, like, you don't watch
1: the, the piece of music where it's most audible, where there's no other dialogue or anything. is just the intro of this song, which is very spacey-sounding synth that's playing while he's doing the jump and just before he fucks the jump up you're not going oh this is this is dancing like right it, it it's just a you know it seems like an incidental piece of music but yeah it's a really odd choice but it works perfectly that
0: the way that it's used and, and you know part of me wonders if maybe there was like some sort of weird um um uh licensing stuff with like the actual song skulls so they were just like fuck it we'll use we'll use this version instead you know what i mean like yeah you know the misfits very famously have like feuded for (laughs) their entire career um no there's honestly that album is really good though like they're they're because a lot of it is more loungy but like half the songs have this sort of spacey quality to it like i really like it it's it's like uh it's been on my in my spotify rotation for for the last few days in between listens to this soundtrack um so at number seven, we've got Trevor Rabin with Street Luge. And this is again, like there's not much to say about this one. It's the little score track he's doing when he's doing the Street Luge scene, obviously. And and what I will say about all of Trevor's songs basically is that Trevor understood the assignment. Like this has a very 80s movie feel to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. And I, like obviously, that that was Trevor Rabin's whole background for making film scores, is he was making these sincerely, and now we get to make the same thing again, but you know, in a sort of more obviously parodied
0: nature, yeah, yes. Um, so at number eight, we've got John Farnham's You're the Voice from the album Whispering Jack. So, You're the Voice was, as you said, it's huge, it was one of the biggest hits of 1986 in Australia atop the Kent Music Reports chart for seven weeks. Uh, the ARIA music awards, it won single of the year. It charted it now. In the US, it only peaked at number 82, but it performed really well in Europe. It, it it also re-entered the Australian singles chart more than 25 years after its original release, thanks to an appearance in a 2012 Ford TV commercial to advertise the company's sync voice control system. And uh yeah, you're remember- <laughs> so this is to me the best pull on the entire entire soundtrack, just a perfect song for the movie. Uh, the way it's used is somehow even better than you could have imagined. But this is like one of those huge power ballads and not a glam one. And I'm a sucker for these like Kyrie by Mr. Mr. Or something like that. Like, I love this shit. Um, I, I I just, I've listened to this so many times this week.
1: It's, it is an immensely powerful song where I have no idea what the fuck it's about. Like <laughs> it's a call to something and it's very stirring in doing that, but I couldn't really say what or why. It's just, it, yeah, it's crazy the amount of emotional sway it has. It's almost like an act of magic. But if you put this thing on at, like, a bar or a pub after, like, 9.30, you'll have just anyone over the age of 30 in tears singing along to this. For whatever reason, this is, like, if Australia actually liked its national anthem, this would be it. And apparently it... <laughs> They used it because they had an Australian crew member who suggested it when they said they were looking for something super inspiring for that scene. Uh, oh. which is quite cool. And just being like, hey, what about this? And then being like, oh fuck yeah, this is the one. But well, like the, I, I think- and it's so good to edit to as well because the moment the violence starts escalating, they go to the bagpipe section of the
0: song. <laughs> <laughs> well and you talked about how it'll have people in tears the reason i think they don't have anyone in like a bar in tears is because this song is unapologetic about being over dramatic. like his the whoa, whoa whoa on the chorus is just oh, like yeah. he's swinging swing for the fucking rafters it's incredible i yeah. love this song
1: that's um, one of the the top five all-time woes in a song i think
0: yeah, it's fantastic, uh, which leads us to the next song, Gown's Head Honcho, which is the one that's actually Queens of the Stone Age. And this one is so funny to me because Josh Hamm is the right age to have most certainly gone through a hair metal phase. Um, mm-hmm. But what's more is that he wrote like an unbelievably pitch perfect fake glam song. It's so dead on. It's insane. But and. I don't know if he knew Cherokee was on here, but the lyrics like a Native American brave who lives by the stream, riding a stallion and chasing a dream. Like, I don't know if that was yeah. a happy accident or if he knew that Cherokee was on here.
1: It's such a, uh, yeah, it's a note perfect parody in that like that lyrical content where it's a specific kind of thing where, yeah, they feel like they're doing something good by <laughs> connecting with this, you know, horrible past that America has the same way that Australia has a horrible past with its indigenous people. Uh, but. Like in the vaguest way that they're trying to pull some connection to it, but also that line specifically has either one or two, too many syllables in it, where he has to hurry through saying, like a Native American brave, to fit it into that line.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just like everything about this is so dead on the production, his wailing, the guitar solo. Like, I would 100%, like I said about the darkness. I would 100% have believed this was like a, a song that I had never heard from a real eighties glam hair metal band. If I heard this, like if someone played this for me, I would be like, is this like white lion? I don't know. Like, <laughs> like some eighties yeah. band. Like, It's perfect. Um, so the next one on here is Giorgio Marauder's Chase, which is originally from Midnight Express and much like the Sergio song, a funny song to have included here. The funny thing about this one though, it honestly sounds like it could have been like an early 2010s indie pop song, like a Starfucker song or something. Um, and it's good, it's good. It's Giorgio Marauder. So it's, obviously it's good. But like listening to it, I couldn't believe how much it reminded I love Starfucker. And I was like, this sounds like it could have been like on a Starfucker album. Like it's got that yeah. early 2010s indie pop sort of, indie dance or whatever you'd call it sensibility to it uh yeah it's great
1: um yeah which is very wild for a like 1978 like a tello disco song to have it feels quite modern yeah it uh yeah yeah it's very good because yeah that's the scene where he's like um he's going through the training montage and he's being Mm -hmm. chased by the van while he's
0: got the pillows strapped to himself i think yes yes that's it yeah <laughs> uh so at number 11 we've got sandberg and jorma doing cool beans which is a super extended version of the cool Beans scene in the movie there's like dubstep in here more vocal manipulation and then at the very end it becomes an actual rap song with barry yeah that's, a, that's right yeah, it's uh uh Be Legit, who's like an underground legend in the Bay Area. It's an insanely funny song, made even funnier by the fact that Be Legit drops like a genuinely excellent verse at the end of it. You know what I mean? Like he's, it's it's just it's so funny that he pops up on here.
1: Oh man, I I remember, you know, it being two thousand and seven or downloading a torrent of the the soundtrack, and getting up to that song, and then getting to when the rap first starts, to just be like, oh, ho, ho, now we're fucking talking
0: turning <laughs> yeah. that to a
1: CD and driving around in my piece of shit car, listening to it constantly. It was great.
0: <laughs> um, so we go to cutting crew with, I just died in your arms tonight from their album broadcast. It's their biggest hit peaked at number one in the U S top five in Germany, Ireland, UK, South Africa, Sweden, and Switzerland. The words I just died in your arms tonight, allegedly came to front man, Nick Van Ede while he was having sex with his girlfriend. That's he's told that story before. Um, oh, so yeah. Yeah, I don't know why you would tell that. This is one of those 80 songs that I like but I would also be okay never hearing again. This is not a knock on the song. I just I've heard it enough. Um yeah. I do have I have a funny association with this song though. So in college I worked at a restaurant where this song was on rotation and and in the in the restaurant, right? I was in the kitchen though. So we listened to whatever the fuck we wanted in the kitchen. It was Wild West back there. And uh, we had like a rap mix CD back when people made those things. And there was a a Master P song playing. And someone in the front of the house accidentally cranked the radio on in the kitchen trying to dick with something. And so it was right when this song was starting. And you get, I just died in your arms tonight. And there's that pause. And then Master P and his song went, oh. Uh, and it was like it was like it lined up perfectly. So we always joked around about doing like a cutting crew, Master P mashup album. Like that was like. So whenever I hear this song, I can't hear it without hearing Master P go, uh, Like right after that opening line. But it again, it's 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 it's, it's objectively it's a good song. I've just heard it so many times that I could go without. Yeah, it's, again,
1: it's been played to death, definitely. Also, it seems like that would have been a relatively expensive song to get for the soundtrack for how minimally it's used in the movie wait when is it used in the movie I'm trying to remember where it's at in the movie i oh, my recollection is that it's when oh no maybe i think it's when jonathan break that uh, breaks up with jonathan i thought but i could be wrong
0: yeah wrong? i'm trying i'm trying to remember um but yeah, it's it's yeah, it seems like the, and maybe that was like where they That's maybe that's why half of the songs are from Europe's one album. <laughs> they blew <laughs> yeah. their soundtrack load on on I Just Died In Your Arms Tonight. Uh, so at number 13, we've got Trevor Raymond with Dave on Acid. That's a score piece that plays, obviously, when Dave is on Acid. It's funny, though, because this feels like something that if you played this for like a a, a a younger person, they would say that this sounds like something from Stranger Things in 2023. But like, it's funny because songs like this existed in media well before that, but it's like that Carpenter-esque score or yeah. sci-fi or something, which is like funny for my acid, first. An acid
1: my first thought was uh, that it, it sounds a lot like, especially if you listen to it in isolation without the stuff that's happening in the movie, it sounds like a little bit of a Tangerine Dream score to me. Just this is yeah. really nice sort of kind of borderline ambient 80s synth driven electronic stuff it's a it's a really good little piece of music it's just you barely notice it in the movie itself
0: When it's only like what this one's like two minutes maybe like he's only got one yeah. all of his scores are like well the couple that are on here are all like sort of short you know what i mean um So up next, we got another Europe song, Rock the Night, also from Final Countdown. But this one actually first appeared on a soundtrack for a Swedish film called On the Loose. And that version is much less slickly produced and way more metal. But the 1986 release, which is the version we're talking about, it's on the soundtrack, was another top 10 hit for them. In France, Germany, Holland, Spain, Belgium, Ireland, and Switzerland, peaked at number 12 in the UK and number 30 in the U.S., um, I like the way this one really embraces pop like the chorus has like call and response feel to it but it's also again I'm getting I'm getting Europe fatigue at this point <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. it just kind of sounds like any other hair metal song to my ears but like poppier which gives yeah, it all, all of
1: all of them start to blend together at this point like there's a uh, the vocal cadence on Rock the Night and Danger on the track is very very similar in the uh, the verses and stuff like it's it's all starting to sound much for muchness at this point
0: that's my problem i think with glam metal and hair metal is that so much of it does suffer from sounding like it, I, I, it's the, the, and again there are look there are hair metal songs I, I actually mentioned White Lion earlier, and it's funny because this summer I was like listening to their song Wait a lot, like that popped on the radio one day, and I was like, man, this is a pretty fucking good 80s metal song, <laughs> like, which yeah. I think I think like 80s metal fans would call me a pussy for saying that. I think that's probably one of those <laughs> ones. <laughs> uh, but I hey, I like it. Um, you know, like Cruise got some great songs. I mean, Wild Sides, like Wild Sides are fucking incredible. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, it just doesn't do anything for me. Um, So at number 15, we've got, trevor raven's stunt suite another score piece this is the longest one five minutes and again he understood the assignment it's it's the one that plays leading up to the big jump and it funny it, this one plays it pretty seriously too which is good like it there's no tongue-in-cheekness there's no tongue-in-cheek quality to this song it gets it's played pretty straight yeah yeah, yeah. um so at number 16, we've got Europe with time has come also from final countdown. Now, by at this point I was, I was completely Europe out. This one didn't leave a single impression on me. Like again, not to beat a drum here, but this could have been a thousand other, it's, it's a pair. It's a power ballad and not a particularly good one. I couldn't even find joy in lines. Like there's, there are some funny lines now that I'm reading them on the page, but like listening to it, I couldn't find joy in lines, like Eagle on wing. So strong long for the hunter. He won't be long. Like it's, it's, it's so bad. Um, the funny thing is, as I'm reading them, I couldn't even tell you what the song sounded like right now. And I just listened to the soundtrack for the show again, like three hours ago, just to make sure I was fresh on it.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't remember this one at all. I,
0: yeah, just completely Europe out. <laughs> um, so at number 17, we close with Brooklyn Bounce, the real bass, which is from the album Second Attack. This is a song Richardson dances to, if I'm remember correctly, like this is whenever he, yes, pops yeah. Up dancing, yeah uh so brooklyn bounce is actually one of many pseudonyms used by german producers matthias mank who goes by double m and dennis bond who goes by bonebreaker which is a much harder name than double m um they've produced music under the names mental madness production uh beatbox featuring Rael. this is one of those this is one of those not my thing but i also don't mind this songs like it's sort of standard club music to me which is kind of good or bad depending on your tolerance for this stuff but like Yeah, this is like, I'm not, am I going to put on this song at any point after we talk about this pod, this, this soundtrack of the podcast? No, zero chance,
1: but like, it's fine. It definitely, uh, it reminds me a lot of like that late nineties era of dance music that was sort of like faithless style stuff, uh, which, yeah, I never really got into all that much, but now I feel vaguely nostalgic for
0: And I think that might be where the part where I said it's not my thing, but I also don't mind this came from is that there is definitely a nostalgia thing. When you hear songs like this, they don't exist anymore. Um, I mean, there's still club music, but it's, I guess I should have said standard nineties club music is what I should have said. But okay. That's the soundtrack. Let's do a quick wrap up here. So songs in the movie, not on the soundtrack. Europe has a couple of more songs in the movie. They have loose ninja love chaser and heart of stone. Um, you've got Herbie Hancock's rocket and Roz got me going is the soundtrack on Spotify. It's missing cool beans and the Trevor Rabin tracks. And for some reason, none of the the playlists that are on there include gringo like me or Brooklyn bounce, but both of those songs are on Spotify. They're just not included in the, the playlists for whoever put the playlists together. All right, Ben, here we go. The movie. Would you rate this an essential? Would you say stream it? Or would you say skip it? Oh, absolutely
1: essential this is crucial viewing for anyone that likes joy this movie's so fucking good we um uh as two-bit movie club we did a screening of it last year like a sold out 200 person cinema in little brisbane queensland but also we this is the single most delayed event that i've ever done i think we originally planned to do this in april of 2020 uh and had like put up tickets for sale and stuff, and then, um, I don't know, something happened at the start of 2020, and then we (laughs) had to push it back by, like, two or so years, and, uh, yeah, everyone went fucking nuts for it. It's just, it's such a good, uh, weird, little, offbeat, small comedy. Like, most of those SNL-adjacent comedy movies are, like, pretty funny but don't feel like they hold up that much to multiple rewatches, whereas I think this one is just, it's a real jam it's a labor of love from some weird dudes who made something that's just odd and unique and wonderful
0: and that's my favorite bits in the snl movies are when they do weird shit like i I, look the ladies man i will laugh for the rest of my life when i think about the part where the ladies man they have the pickled food eating competition in the bar to prove that they're men like that is the fucking. that's the kind of shit and this movie yes this movie is an essential because it's full of shit like that it's a great weird comedy, one of the best of the 2000s. Like it is phenomenal. It's unquestionable Absolutely. and essential. I would love to see this in a theater with a group of people playing off of it. Like it's, it, it's made for that. Um. Now the soundtrack, would you say this is an essential soundtrack? Would you say stream it? Would you say skip it? Or would you say cherry pick certain songs from it? definitely cherry
1: pick uh i think there was like a phase when i was in my early 20s where i was playing head honcho at like every house party i had at my place (laughs) i would chuck it on at some point uh but yeah i mean there's a bunch of 80s bangers in there
0: definitely skip all the europe songs but oh it's a a
1: great soundtrack
0: yeah i would i would say cherry pick as well because one third of it is europe's final countdown album but the thing is yeah everything else the other than maybe Brooklyn bounce is like really good. Like, I mean, you've got, you're the, you know, you've got, you're the voice you've got. There's some good shit on here. And the thing is, if you look also, you're not going to have a bad time streaming the whole thing. Um, Maybe you'll get Europe fatigue like I did, but like, I don't think, I think if somebody put this on for the first time and just streamed all the way through, they're not going to be like mad about it. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I, but I still think you could cherry pick it.
1: I also think if you are at like someone's house and they had this on vinyl and they chucked it on, you would have a hard time imagining it's all from the same movie. <laughs> but there's so <laughs> right. many wild tonal shifts from song to song in the way that the tracks are ordered.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, going from Europe to uh, Ennio Morricone or over to uh, Sergio is is fucking insane. Like that's an insane jump. <laughs> yeah. Um. Do the two go well together, though, the movie and the soundtrack?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Really captures a weirdly vague and yet specific time and place and also like the vibe of what it's parroting, like footloose, but also of just like small town dickheads who think glam metal is very cool. Uh, this is what they would choose to listen to.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. And that's the thing, even in my even in my soundtrack rating, I I mentioned I didn't say it when I was saying it, but like in the movie, these songs are all perfect. You know what I mean? It's outside of the context of the movie with the soundtrack that it's like, you could probably skip some of this, but like in the context of the movie, Christ, do they go well together? It's perfect. It's like pitch perfect in the movie. All right, Ben, top three. What's your top three?
1: Oh, Oh, God, no, that's tough. Um, I mean, i got to say you're the voice, partially out of patriotism, but partially also because it is just a, it's a weird artifact, that song uh never is just such a perfect choice
0: and a gringo like me also a perfect choice that's that's the thing this was a tough one for me pulling all of the europe songs out of here to do my top three because like you (laughs) my top three number one was john farnham's you're the voice number two Stacey q's two of hearts and number three is the nutley brass's skulls so yeah um, farnham's you're the voice is unquestionably the best song on here so yeah it's it's the hero song of the movie for sure Yes. Even though it's not used in that context. (laughs) It's so funny. It's like, it would be like, it's used in like a very comedic way. Um, so further watching, further listening, just a few suggestions based off of this pop star, obviously foot fist way, MacGruber, uh, are three movies that I think you could double feature along with this and probably have a really good time and feel tonally similar and then as far as further listening, the Nutley Brass's Fiend Club Lounge is great. Be Legit, though, since Be Legit appears on that one song. Be Legit's trying to get a buck and Hemp Museum, are excellent 90s rap albums. And those are my suggestions. If you like this as, for, as far as things to check out along with it or listen to off of the soundtrack, if you want to branch off a little bit. So uh, those are my suggestions. Um, OK, so. Ben, thank you so much for picking hot rod. Thank you for coming on and doing this with me. I really appreciate it. The fact that you got up at 9 a.m. to record this with me because we're on very different time zones and that you helped me. F- you, oh, Andrew, I guess, was the one who sent me that um, little spreadsheet that saved my ass because I am genuinely the fucking worst at time zone stuff. I am awful at time zone stuff. Oh, uh, so-
1: I, that that spreadsheet has come out of necessity because I think Andrew is uh, fucked up more like us trying to arrange international things that he has succeeded in so we're trying to get it down to like a fine art over time
0: <laughs> well it's your turn so one thing i didn't mention up front too i should have is is it Borf? is that how do you say how do you say yeah, the film faster? yeah that's okay. correct both that's right all right well tell everyone where they can find you let everyone know what you've got going on tell them about the podcast tell them anything you want to tell them the floor is yours.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Um, I'm on the the Twitter, the website that will probably only exist for a couple more weeks as uh, <laughs> Thomas Violence. I'm on the podcast Bunta Vista, which you can find by searching for those words. And uh, me and a couple of friends just announced a film festival that we're putting on for the second year in a row in beautiful Brisbane, Queensland. We are doing the Brisbane Only Repulsive Liquid Film Festival. It is... 11 and sort of 12 movies all themed around slimes and oozes and stuff uh, taking place at uh, New Farm Cinemas from September 22nd to October 1st. Uh, Yeah, Retrospective Film Festival, so just like a bunch of weird old cool shit that uh, we're very, very, very fucking excited about. So if you're within driving distance of Brisbane, com, check it out
0: and i saw you've got uh body melt right is going to be one of the ones
1: playing yeah one of the ones yeah we've got um the director philip brophy is coming up to do a director's q a before we screen it as well which i'm very excited about that's i love body melt that is a that is a fucking fun gross ass movie <laughs> it's so gross it's so fucking disgusting i have a uh, shockingly weak stomach so like half of these movies are very painful for me to sit through but i I respect their artistry
0: and i'm I'm ready to do this on the big screen i'm i'm i grew up i was born in 1980 and so like for me like i you know when i was a kid like i would watch i'm a horror i love horror movies i love horror movies and uh old practical effects like that and i'm a huge fan like australia had some really good gloopy fucking movies to come out of there you know what i mean and i like it's i i just love old practical effects and body melt is is uh really excellent one so uh kudos for choosing that for your if fits the theme perfectly
1: <laughs> um, yeah yeah that one is like our uh our poster child i think for this it is just so fucking gross and it's got such a good like uh a smart person making a really st- stupid movie feel to it that i love so much
0: you know, I didn't see what else you've done. Uh, uh, just the ones I'm thinking of now. Street Trash, one of the ones you got on there. Street Trash would be a good. uh oh, we
1: we were thinking about it, but I think we had some issues getting the rights for it. But uh, we've got. Uh, so unfortunately, not, which is a big shame. But we've got like, what are we doing? We got the Fly. We got uh, the '80s one, obviously. We got Prince of Darkness. We got both versions of the Blob. We got Toxic Avenger. Class of High. The Green Slime from 1968, which is this really insane uh co-production between MGM and Toho like the the big Japanese studio where it was written by American screenwriters but then filmed by a Japanese director and Japanese crew with a cast largely of like amateur American actors or American non-actors that happen to live in Japan so it is just it feels like it's from another planet like it's just every line reading is slightly off all of the actors don't have any sort of star quality to them whatsoever. They just look like sort of Tim and Eric style extras that happen to be in a big budget movie. It's, um, yeah, very excited for that one. Oh, we got Troll 2 that- as well, which I've never seen on the big screen and I'm thrilled about.
0: That's a, that's a great lineup. And oh my God, the eighties blob. I could, I, yeah, I could go on about this for a long time. I love both blobs, but the eighties blob is like one of those movies that I banged the drum for, for decades. And I'm glad to see that it's finally getting like, it's, it's, it's one of the best remakes of all time. It is just disgusting. It's, so it is, it's fantastic. Great practical effects mean spirited Frank Darabont sort of writing with the the sheriff that you think is going to be important love interest sort of thing and then they both just get fucking killed real quick by the blob at the phone booth like it's awesome great movie um but yeah if you're uh and I I know I've got I know I've got uh, plenty of uh listeners in Australia and uh if you can please go check that out and I will put links for all of that in the episode description as well so you can find uh where you can find that you can find Bunta Vista, and uh, please check them out. So, and uh, Ben, once again, really appreciate you doing this. And um, it's really funny to think that you're like just starting your day, getting <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, just ending mine. It's really weird. I'm always like, it's getting late. I'll let you go. But uh, no, it's great. I really appreciate you coming on and doing this with me and picking hot rod especially.
1: Oh, thanks so much. I'm always excited to talk about hot rod.
0: All right. Well, everyone listening at home. I want to thank you as well. Thank you for listening to the show, and I hope that all of you have a tremendous weekend.
1: Ain't no use running,
0: Ain't nowhere to hide. The beast is coming, and he's got you in his sights. He ain't gonna miss you, and he ain't gonna mess around. If you're a movie with original songs,
1: the soundtrack of the Check you down! Oh, yeah!